0: or a windowless room in a downtown apartment should just grow something. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. This is episode eight, and today we will talk about growing zones and frost protection in the garden. So right now, many of our U.S. growing zones still have not reached their average last frost date for the year. And many times we may get a frost in our area beyond that date. So this episode, we'll talk about what a growing zone is, and then we'll look at frost protection measures for your plants that you may already have out in your garden. So in the U.S., most gardeners rely on the USDA hardiness zone map to determine what I call the growing zone. This map is how gardeners can determine which plants are most likely to survive at their location. The map is based on average annual minimum winter temperature and it's divided into 10 degree Fahrenheit zones. The current map was updated in 2012 and was jointly developed by the USDA's Agricultural Research Service and Oregon State University, which just so happens to be my alma mater. Prior to that 2012 update, the most recent version was from 1990, and the very first version was designed in 1960. So in that very first version, my area of Missouri was listed as Zone 6A. In 1990, we were redesignated as Zone 5B. In the 2012 version, we were pushed back into Zone 6A, (laughs) but what does any of that actually mean? Plant hardiness zones represent the average annual extreme minimum temperature at a given location during a particular time period. They don't necessarily reflect the coldest it's ever gotten in that area, it's just the average lowest winter temperature for that location over a specified time. So, In this case, the the most recent version is looking at a 30-year period from 1976 to 2005. The reason that many of the areas shifted is because in the new version, there were two zones that were added, and the new map is generally about a half a zone warmer than the previous map because the old map, was only based on temperature data from a 13-year period, from 1974 to 1986. So this map is supposed to be more accurate. That being said, again, all it's doing is showing what vegetation will generally survive in your area if you want to grow tropical type plants, you will not be planting them outside if you're in zone 4B, which has an average extreme minimum temperature of a negative 20 to negative 25 Fahrenheit. You may be able to put them outside in a pot for a couple months midsummer, but that banana tree better be back inside by fall. So when I say we're in zone 6A, that means our average low is somewhere between negative 5 and negative 10 in the middle of the winter. The lower the low temperature, usually the shorter the warm growing season. So my poor cousin, hi Stephanie, um, lives in Wyoming and I want to say she's in zone 5A or 4B. So she's barely got time to get tomatoes set out and producing before their first frost hits. Her last frost in spring could be as late as May 12th, and her first frost in fall could be as early as September 21st. Last year, she had to harvest most of her tomatoes green because of an early frost. But, you know, those temperatures, leafy greens are rock stars in her area. So if you're trying to decide what to plant in your garden, pay attention to the plants or the seed packets that you are considering. They're going to list what zones that plant is hardy in. If you're in a warmer climate, know that lettuce and carrots, those cool season veggies, can grow well in your area, but you may be planting those in January. While folks in my area will be planting them in March, and then folks in my cousin's area won't be putting them out until April. The best judge, really, of when it's okay to plant something is usually a combination of your current air temperatures and the soil temperature in your garden. I'm going to go ahead and link to the USDA map in the show notes. Uh, This new updated version from 2012 allows you to just type in your zip code, and it'll tell you what zone you're in and what your average extreme lows are. Just remember, it's an average, and colder temperatures are absolutely possible. Now, if you're on the West Coast, there's actually another tool you can use that not only tells you the average winter low temperatures, but your overall climate. That includes the length of the growing season, the timing and the amount of rainfall, your summer highs and humidity, in addition to the winter lows. Sunset Magazine created their sunset zones to take all those things into consideration for the West Coast and about as far east as Southwest Kansas so that you can see where a plant may be able to thrive year-round rather than just surviving a, a cold snap. This is because climates in the western half of the country can vary dramatically from county to county, and, but they may still fall within the same USDA hardiness zone. I'll give you an example. With USDA hardiness zones, the Olympic rainforest in Washington state is in the same USDA hardiness zone as part of Arizona's Sonora Desert. These are obviously two very different climates. So if you're on the west coast, I'll link to the sunset map for you as well. But just know anytime you hear me say growing zone, I'm referring to the USDA hardiness zones. So each of those areas has a first and last average frost date, right? A frost date is the average date of the last light freeze in spring or the first light freeze in fall. The classification of freeze temperatures is based on their effect on plants. So what we call a light freeze or a frost is something that's between 29 and 32 degrees Fahrenheit. These are temperatures where most tender plants are killed and larger plants can get significantly damaged. Now, a moderate freeze, or what we often refer to as a hard freeze, is anything between 25 and 28 degrees Fahrenheit. This is widely destructive to most vegetation. And then you get into a severe freeze, which is anything below 24 degrees Fahrenheit. That's heavy damage to most garden plants. So I'm recording this episode at the end of March. Right now, if you're in Zones 10 through 13, congratulations, you never have a frost. (laughs) Go tend to your banana tree while the rest of us talk about frost protection measures and know that I am super jealous of you right now. For those of you in Zones 9 and 8, you're past the usual last frost date for your area around this time. It should be safe to set out those warmer weather plants soon, assuming that you've tested your soil temperatures and your air temperatures have settled. If you're in zones seven or below, you either are approaching your last frost date or you've got a little ways to go. So early spring plantings of cold, hardy, leafy greens, uh, brassicas like broccoli or cauliflower or cabbage, and then those cold loving plants like peas can be planted now or relatively soon. Again, test your soil temperatures, watch those air temperatures, and remember frost dates are an estimate based on historical climate data. There is a 30% probability of a frost occurring after your last frost date. So if you do plant and it looks like a frost is coming, how can you protect your plants? Whether it's something you've planted from seed that has popped up as a tender seedling just days before an expected frost, or it's a plant you've transplanted that either hasn't really rooted in yet or is meant for slightly warmer temperatures, I've got plenty of measures you can take to help protect them from frost damage. There's not much better than looking out first thing on a sunny morning, gazing at my garden beds over a hot cup of coffee. As US Marines, my husband and I drank a lot of coffee. As farmers, well, let's just say we should probably drink more water. At least we drink much better coffee these days, but it still has a military tie. We have four bags of freshly roasted coffee shipped to us every few weeks from Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle is a veteran-owned business just like ours but they serve up premium coffee and ship it around the world. When you join their coffee club, your chosen brew is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door on whatever schedule you choose. And with every purchase, they're giving back to military veterans, active duty, law enforcement, and first responders. Ready to check them out? Go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. No commitments. Cancel anytime. time but I'm pretty sure you won't. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your Coffee Club subscription. First things first, if you're transplanting plants into the garden early in spring, or anytime really, make sure you've hardened off those plants. This means acclimating those plants to the conditions outside, rather than the conditions in your seed starting area or the local nursery. Preparing them for the outdoors will thicken the cuticle on the leaves so they lose less water when exposed to the elements and be more temperature hardy and prevent transplant shock, which can cause plant growth to stall or cause plants to die from the sudden change in temperature and sun exposure. Plants that have been hardened off are more likely to survive a frost with minimal damage than those that have been planted straight from a protected environment into the garden. So to harden off a seedling, reduce the amount of water it receives gradually over the week before you transplant, especially if you don't plan to irrigate your garden regularly. Uh, Let them dry out between waterings to simulate those conditions. At the same time, on the days when the temperatures are above 45 degrees Fahrenheit outside, put the plants outside, in a protected area outside of direct sunlight for about an hour that first day, and then add an hour to that each day. So at the end of the week, it can be outside for seven hours during that day. This is not only exposing them to increased amounts of sunlight, but also to the breezes and other elements. If there isn't enough air movement on the days the plant or the time that the plant is outside, running your hand across the plant several times a day or putting them in front of a gentle breeze from a fan will also do the trick. After a few days, you can place them in the direct morning sun and then moving them back to the shade or back indoors for the afternoons and then gradually expose them to more and more direct sunlight each day as you increase their time outside. So once you have your plants hardened off and then they're planted into your garden, be sure to have your frost protection measures at the ready. Frosts can come on unexpectedly and you may have only a few hours warning that one is coming up overnight. Scrambling to find everything you need at the last minute and then covering plants in the dark is no fun. So what should you have on hand and how do you use it? Frost covers, old sheets, fabric, Uh, shower curtain liners, or any other lightweight, non-plastic fabric material. Okay, that's number one. These can be used in a single layer laid directly across plants to protect them from the frost. You can buy frost covers uh, in a lightweight and double them up for temperatures that threaten to be colder. Commercially available frost cloths will indicate the level of protection they provide. You don't have to buy these specifically, though. Just save old bedsheets or whatever you have as sort of a frost protection stash to have on hand for your plants. I don't recommend using anything plastic unless you have no other option. Plastic has a tendency to be colder to the touch in cool weather and may provide less protection for your plants, transferring that cold to them rather than pulling it away. But something is better than nothing. So if that's your only option, then go ahead and use it. Uh, the second items to keep on hand would be things to prop those covers up above plants like large pots or buckets, um, hay bales or chairs, uh, and clips or fasteners for attaching your covers. So this is in case of a very heavy frost that's bordering on a moderate freeze. You can place that first one layer of cover directly on the plants to break the contact with any moisture and then Use these props to drape another layer above the first one, not quite touching. This will create an insulating air gap between the two layers and create another barrier against freezing precipitation that can damage the sensitive plant tissue. In this instance, you can use plastic drop cloths or plastic shower curtains as the top layer to provide that extra layer layer of protection since they're not in direct contact with the plant. The third item to keep on hand would be watering cans or hoses for your spigot. Um, Making sure that your plants are well watered prior to a frost can make a world of difference in the damage they sustain. The higher the volume of water in a plant's cells, the harder it is for it to freeze. So think of a pond, right? The shallower edges of a pond freeze much more quickly in cold winter temperatures than the deeper center. That's the same concept for your plants. And if their their cells are swollen with water, a light freeze will have less chance of causing ice crystals to form in the cells and puncturing their membranes, disrupting the movement of the fluids and damaging the tissues. Plus, moist soil has an insulating effect and it radiates heat upward toward the plant. So, water the plants well in the warmest part of the afternoon before a frost if you can. And this will give you sort of a dual way of keeping that frost at bay. The fourth item is mulch. If you haven't already placed mulch out into your garden, putting a thick layer around those tender plants will help insulate them and protect them from a light frost. Keep in mind, the exposed tops of those plants may still still be susceptible, so use a cloth to cover the tops. And if you don't have any mulch handy, rake up those leaves in the yard and pile those around the plants. Just make sure once the danger of the frost is passed that you go ahead and pull that mulch back away from those, those plants. You don't want them touching the base of the plants because that's just a breeding ground for disease, and it can also hide bugs and that sort of thing. But as a temporary solution, mulch works very well. Um, as an insulating layer. Uh, Another item to keep on hand would be plastic bottles, buckets, uh, larger ceramic pots. These can all act like those old-time cloches, right? those glass, bell-shaped covers you may have seen illustrated in the old Victorian gardening books. These essentially act like little mini greenhouses, protecting the plants from outside elements and magnifying the effect of the sun if they're made from clear material. In fact, you can find glass ones on Amazon still, but the leftover plastic two liter bottles or milk jugs will work just as well. Ceramic pots or plastic buckets will do in a pinch too. Anything to protect the condensation, protect from condensation um, on the plant surface, and increase the temperature underneath by a few degrees will make a, a world of difference. A few other things that you might not think about um, a fan. You know, circulating air helps distribute the warmer currents into the garden. So air movement can actually raise the temperature in your garden by as much as seven degrees. So if the forecast is calling for dry, clear, and cool conditions with no wind, a fan can be used to create sort of an artificial breeze in your garden area. Just be smart about using electricity out in the elements. Make sure Electrical connections are protected from moisture or, even better, use a battery-operated fan and then see if you can place the fan in a, a, a sheltered area. But air movement will go a long ways towards raising that temperature a little bit. And the last one is Christmas lights. You can actually use strings of holiday lights, not the LED ones, but the old school ones, uh, to heat up an area to prevent frost. So if you string them low overhead of your plants and be sure they're not touching any flammable frost coverings, you can raise the temperature for a few degrees. You can also use like a 100-watt outdoor lamp hung over top of a small garden area to do the same thing. Depending on how large your garden area is, uh, this is often sufficient to raise the temperature just enough to mitigate a frost. And this is actually super effective uh, if you are growing in containers on a porch or on a balcony, so you know, hey, leave those Christmas lights out for a little bit longer after December. It's finally acceptable to keep them out until you know March or April. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Now, if you are a container gardener, of course, bring those susceptible plants indoors if your containers allow for it. Just be sure to put it somewhere that's not too warm. Sudden changes in temperatures can cause problems for your plants the same way planting them without hardening them off can. A garage or an unheated basement would be ideal. If the containers aren't able to come inside, Be sure you're insulating around the base of those containers as well as covering the tops. The smaller containers expose more of the soil surface to colder temperatures. So that increases the possibility of damage at the root zones of the plants. So wrap blankets around the base of the container or use mulch to insulate them as well as covering the plants themselves. If you can cluster your pots and containers together, this will also help them insulate each other. In most instances, your weather report or app is going to give you a heads up that a frost is coming, but the daytime conditions will also give you an idea of whether you should deploy frost protection measures in your garden that night. Clear skies have a cooling effect that allows the heat to escape into the atmosphere. Clouds help insulate us from sudden swings in the temperature. So if there's not a cloud in the sky on an early spring day, be aware frost may hit that night. Calm conditions with little wind are also more likely to allow for frost since very low air movement means those warmer air currents are not being distributed over the ground. If you notice any of these conditions on an early spring day or a late fall day, heads up, you may get a frost. So what happens if you do have a surprise frost and your plants were left exposed or you did everything you could but the temperatures were just too low and your plants received some damage? How do you mitigate that damage? You will know pretty much immediately if your plants have frost damage. They'll be darker than the surrounding foliage in mild cases or completely brown or black if you have heavy damage. Wait until the weather warms up to remove any of this damage. If the chances are there for another night or two of frost, just leave the damage on the plant to act as an insulator against additional injury. Once all danger of frost has passed, prune back past the damage to the next green growth. In some plants, the damage just may be too much for them to survive. But in many cases, the event may just stunt their growth a little bit And they'll pick back up after the weather settles and they've had a chance to recover. I will tell you this happens to all of us. I've had my fair share of damage both out in the gardens and in our little unheated greenhouse. As a matter of fact, we had frost damage just last week. We had overnight lows that were forecasted to around 32 degrees for our town. However, I know those temperatures are always lower for us because we're in a rural area outside of city limits and we don't get that insulating effect from the concrete in the buildings. So I moved all the plants in our greenhouse to the center of the structure, made sure everybody was well watered, placed double and quadruple layers of frost cloth over my most sensitive plants, namely the tomatoes and the marigolds and some of the herbs. And then I draped another layer of frost cloth over top of everything, like a white drapey wedding decoration, to create that air gap. The first night, it dipped down below freezing for about 30 minutes or so, and then it came right back up again. No frost damage to anything that night. And most plants can easily survive a very brief dip down below freezing, even without any kind of frost protection. The sun didn't come out at all the next day, so I didn't even uncover everything. I just left the covers all in place all day long. That next night, we dipped below freezing for about two hours and then hit a low of 27 degrees for about 30 minutes. And then it rose back up again. Again, no damage, but I had to remove the frost covers the next day because it actually got really sunny and warm. And of course, these are in the greenhouse, so it got really toasty. Uh, with that, uh, that effect from the plastic. So there was one more night where it was forecasted below freezing. So I made sure everything was well watered again and I recovered everything the same way I had the two previous nights and crossed my fingers. That final night, it was below freezing for almost eight hours. And we sat right at 27 degrees for four of those hours. Those are pretty rough conditions, The majority of the plants did just fine, but any that were even remotely exposed had major frost damage. Um, One tomato plant was on the edge of some of the cover, and it ended up being exposed, and we completely lost that one. Uh, A few more had damage on their most extreme edges of their foliage, and so I've trimmed the damage off of those, and I'm waiting for those to recover. Overall, it was nothing major, but it just shows that even those of us who do this for a living suffer damage and losses from frost. In previous seasons, I've lost entire plug trays of 500 or more tomato seedlings to unexpected frosts or temperatures that dipped well below what measures I had prepared for. You do the best you can to not put plants out too early. You keep an eye on the weather and keep an arsenal handy to jump into action when you need to protect from the frost. It's really the best you can do. And if you have some losses, you have some losses, you chalk it up to experience, you see if you can maybe find some replacements and you move on. I hope this episode has helped arm you with some tools to protect your plants from frost when necessary. Don't forget to send me your gardening questions for our first Can You Dig It? episode coming up the first Friday of the month. Send those questions to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com or go to the contact page at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com or click the link in the show notes to send me a voice message with your questions. If I use your question in that episode, you'll be entered into the drawing for a free Clyde's Garden Planner tool for planning your indoor and outdoor planting times, along with basic planning data for 22 common garden vegetables. Until next time, keep planning that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. I hope listening to these episodes is helping you understand more about how to grow and preserve your own food and maybe growing an awareness of food issues in general. Just remember, No matter where you live or what you have, you can absolutely grow something.